0: Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Here is part two of our conversation with Andy Irwin.
1: Andy was so gracious with his time, and this conversation just kept getting better and better. Well,
0: it was amazing to find out the Irwin brothers have now done something so rare in the film industry that even Steven Spielberg has not accomplished it. And
1: I loved him talking about what an opening weekend is actually like for a major motion picture. Yes. So here's part two of our conversation with Andy Irwin. I'm Kevin and I'm Stephanie and
0: during our marriage we have dealt with an electrocution a brain tumor brain surgery
1: then doctors telling us that children were not in our future followed by miscarriage and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis
0: however today we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible and we're here to tell stories that inspire give hope and brighten your day welcome to
1: tell us a good story
0: this episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio.
1: Let them be your builder for life. They are freaking awesome.
0: All right, Steph. In 2002, he and his brother founded a production company, and their first ventures were commercials, documentaries, and music videos. They were soon directing videos and producing concerts and television programs for recording artists such as Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Casting Crowns, Switchfoot and skillets. The Irwin brothers received 11 GMA Dove Award nominations and three wins for music video of the year.
1: Okay. Okay. When was your pinch me moment? Like, John, this is actually happening Like that to first us. award? Yeah. Just yeah. anything.
2: Yeah. The first one, because for years, we did music videos that um, were completely embarrassing. So for years, we just tried to get any wannabe artists that wanted to make a music video and they had $500 to pay for it. We're your guys. And so we, we did that for a while. And like guys that, you know, they, they were never going to make it. And so we did a lot of embarrassing videos, but we were trying to kind of just kind of jumpstart this thing. We were from Birmingham, Alabama, and nobody really wanted to work with us. And the first one to kind of take a chance on us was Mike Libby Smith. We uh, got called by his agents. Usually the music videos at that time cost uh, about $50,000 to do. And they only had like, you know, it wasn't for a big song. It was one that was special that Smitty had done for his daughter. And he's like, you know, I only have a few thousand dollars pay for it out of my pocket. Could you guys do a small video for us that we just do uh, just for my family? And we talked, John and I talked to each other and we just said, you know what, guys, it would benefit our career a lot more if we could actually do a big video. And so if we were to go out and raise the money or or get a loan for the money to pay for the rest of the video ourselves, could we do a big video? And they said, sure, go for it. So we went out and took out a $10,000 loan to do a video for a, a little song called How to Say Goodbye. And next thing you know, Mike W. Smith is uh, in Birmingham, Alabama on our set. And it was just one of these moments that's like, this is amazing. And that video turned out to be the most popular Christian video for about six months after that.
0: Oh, wow.
2: And so that really launched us and then led to kind of us getting to work with everybody that we'd ever dreamed of. And then eventually led to, you know, we did a lot of Christian contemporary, did some country, and then eventually started to rock music videos. And um, the videos that we did for Skillet, I mean, the monster video, I think has about 500 million views on YouTube (laughs) now. So it was like really, really popular. But we, we got really good at blowing things up. and so any rock video that we didn't know how to end we would just blow something up and so 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 in fact our very last treatment that we did for a band it just said uh band comes out things blow up it starts to rain more things blow up it stops raining everything blows up and they're like we love it that's the script we became those guys so yeah
1: so do you have to get with like a pyrotechnic guy or uh, do you guys just try to of figure it out? All of approvals. Yeah.
2: It's very technical. And the guys, it's funny. The stereotypical thing that's been done in comedies, is like Tropic Thunder and others. Not that I've watched that movie, but yeah. In Tropic Thunder, <laughs> like the guy that Danny McBride plays, it's like this pyro guy. It's like almost dead accurate to what these guys were. They were just nuts. They're really? like, oh, I can do it. I got this gasoline thing that'll blow up and it'll make a big mushroom cloud it's gonna be gorgeous Or like are, are you uh you know on a prison release program is this legal yeah i got the permit it's like you want a bigger we're like oh my gosh <laughs> so yeah it was a lot of, it was fact in fact one time on uh, one video we did this one video <laughs> where um the drummer there was these fire flames that were supposed to shoot out behind the drums and they were like 25 feet high they're these big fire flames And uh, they were called the Five Fingers of Death, I think was the name (laughs) of the flame. And so so right as we're about to start filming, she's the the drummer. We're like, are you comfortable with the pyro? She's like, yeah, we use pyro all the time on, on their concerts. I'm like, okay, cool. So we do the first take and we look in the background and in the first take, she's in the background playing drums and she's crying while she's playing drums. She's crying. And then as soon as we yelled cut, she ran to her trailer. And I'm like, Oh, how hot were those flames? So she's in her trailer. She wasn't hurt. She was fine. But we like let's do another test of this to see how hot it is. So John and I sat there where she was sitting, and they did a test. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm literally on fire.
0: My face is melting. <laughs> so yeah, she has third degree burns out in her trailer. <laughs> <laughs> a little trial and error. We've actually
2: stayed really good friends. She's a sweetheart, but like it was, it was not one of her finer moments.
0: But yeah. <laughs> 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 okay. next fun fact in 2010 john and andy began exclusively developing dramatic feature films their features have all opened in the top 10 box office on opening weekend they've received a coveted a plus cinema score which is the highest possible mm-hmm. score twice three times for the movie how many three times the american underdog got it too oh oh my gosh okay three times for woodlawn in 2013 i can only imagine in 2018 And now, American Underdog, in 2021. So, brace yourself for this. This is even crazier now that he said that. There's only one other person, one other filmmaker to have ever got three times. All right? And I was thinking it was two. So, the Irwins joined a very small group. You ready for this? The one director has three to their name. Before the Irwin brothers is Lee Unkrich for Toy Story 2, Coco, Finding Nemo.
1: What?
0: Now you add the Irwin brothers to that. Andy,
1: that's amazing.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Wow. Okay, you ready? I'm going to keep going. Oh, we're still going. This is going to blow your mind. So Mm -hmm. brace yourself. The list of people of two films includes Steven Spielberg for E.T. and Schindler's List, Rob Reiner, When Harry Met Sally and A Few Good Men, Robert Zemeckis for Forrest Gump and Polar Express, Pete Docter for Monsters, Inc. and Up!, Malcolm D. Lee for Girls Trip and Best Man Holiday and Peter Berg, who had Lone Survivor and Patriots Day. That is it.
1: (laughs) Andy! Andy, 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 Andy. That's a huge pinch me moment. No, you know what that is? That's the WoW Factor. That is the WoW Factor. Yes.
2: You've done your homework, yes. the Hank Irwin special. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's really kind of you guys. I you know, I, I think the cool thing about that designation and the reason why it's so rare. It just means you're connecting with an audience that really loves the story that you're telling, and they really feel seen and represented. So the way that, that award is given is it's an independent organization called uh, Cinema Score on opening night across the country do random polling for every film that comes out on opening night and pull people on if they what their feelings about the movie were as they're exiting the film. It's it's impromptu. It's it's just man on the street. And uh, an A cinema score uh, is rare, but not impossible. A pluses are like really, really rare because it means everybody they pulled across the country rated it excellent when they left the theater. And so uh, usually there's only about one or two of them a year, you know, in the history since it's it's been done since 19... 79. 79. Okay, you did yes. your research. Yeah, 79. So in, since it's been started, there's only been about 50 of them because it's just really rare. And so... It's exciting to feel seen by an audience that they really leave feeling really good about what they just watched. And so especially for us as you know Christians that are trying to do products that that really show Christianity in a positive light, to have those opening weekend audiences really be excited about what they've just watched, it's, it's rare air, and it's something that we are really privileged to serve the people that like to see our movies. And um, I'm grateful for what we get to do.
1: You're like almost in a class of your own. Like you and yes, John— literally. Are like in a class of your own. It's crazy. So when
0: he's talking about rare air. I like right, her. So... <laughs> me too, Andy. Me yeah, too.
2: Yeah. That's
1: great. That, that...
2: Just put that on a voicemail so I can listen like, you know, twice a day and be like, I am somebody.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Steph, we just moved into a new home. You know who's good at homes?
1: I do. Jay Luby. Miss Connie Luby.
0: Yes. They build custom homes. They do remodeling. They do office construction. Steph, if you go to lubycompanies.com, they have a picture by picture here on their portfolio. And everyone is absolutely amazing. I
1: want every one of them. <laughs> I want that one or that one. Oh, maybe that one.
0: The Gorgeous. only problem about lubycompanies.com, it's hard to spell.
1: Uh, there's no way... I could spell their last name unless you would have told me. I
0: guarantee they get asked every day, how do you spell that? So friends, it's l-u-e-b-b-e-companies.com. Go to that website. Phenomenal pictures of what they do. From new construction to like new renovations, the Luby Companies are here to partner with you. They are also a proud sponsor of...
1: Tell us a good story.
0: Next fun fact. In 2018, the movie I could only imagine which had a $7 million budget, did nearly $90 million at the box office, making it the number one independent movie film of the year. So, during an opening weekend of a film, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? Are you on your phone just tracking box office? Are you just hitting like refresh, 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 refresh all the time? What is that like? Yeah, usually we're throwing up, you know? It's (laughs) like, yeah. Nerve wracking. It's like, is my family gonna eat? Is my family gonna eat?
2: You know, uh, uh yeah, it's it's always nerve wracking. And it it's not always a guarantee that it's gonna work, you know, because I've been through several films where I, I'm proud of the movie, but you know, financially it just it didn't work. And so when we got to, I can only imagine, we're at a point in our career where, you know, it, it, it could have gone either way. Like very easily I could have needed to go get a job at Starbucks, but it was like we're at that point of just, I think we need to do one more time around the block. And we had just done a movie called Woodlawn that we were really proud of, that I we loved, that we really found our voice. But it just financially just didn't quite work. And you know, when we sat down to do, I can only imagine, we're risking a lot. And so we actually uh, raised the money to make it and market it ourselves. And everybody thought we were crazy. But uh, we just kind of felt like God had called us to tell that story. And there was something really compelling about it as a father-son redemption story. And then we got into filming, and uh, and it was about two days into filming. We had not cast the role of the father yet. Uh, originally, we wrote it for Mel Gibson, and he had a conflict in his schedule, couldn't do it. Took another project, and we were searching for the right person, and we had not landed on Quaid yet. And I just had a panic attack that day on set, where I'm like, "What in the world am I doing? I've leveraged our whole future on this story. We haven't cast a star yet, as a you know, as a name actor." And you know, this could really be bad. And and I was like, God, I'm either making the best movie ever or the worst. And I don't know which one it is. Mm-hmm. And then there's just kind of this piece where you kind of let go of the boat and stop worrying about what people think about you. And you just be like, hey, if I drowned, I drowned, but we're gonna swim really hard. And two weeks into filming, we got the call that Dennis Quaid wanted to do the movie and showed up and really embraced that character. And you know, as rough as it was. And gave, I think, a career best performance. And when we got to that breakfast table scene between him and Bart, it's the favorite thing I've ever done in our career. It's an eight minute scene with no music, just two guys at a table talking. But it was just so compelling of this father-son restitution trying to make it right. And this son that's really still traumatized and coming to grips with the fact that his dad is dying. And it was magic. And at the end of that scene, John and I looked at each other and it's like, this is special. This is rare. So when that opening weekend came around, the trades had done another estimate on what it was going to do. They had estimated it wasn't going to do anything. They said it was going to do two to four million opening weekend, which again would mean I would be looking for another job. And uh, we just kind of kept feeling like, no, I think it's something special. Then the numbers came out Friday night. And we looked at the numbers and we did 17 million opening weekend on 1,700 screens. Like everybody was losing their minds. And my producing partner, Kevin, was over there pushing refresh on Rent Track, this thing that he kept pushing refresh. He's like, it's like playing the lottery, but every time you push the button, you win. (laughs) And and to hear just the stories of people really engaging with it. And we found out that the numbers were spiking off the charts in Burbank and nobody goes and sees a Faith film in Burbank. We're like, what's going on in Burbank? So we sent a spy to the theater to go find out why that was. And in the theater was a bunch of suits from all the studios that had filled the theater with their notepad, trying to take notes of why in the world is this working? And so God just blew the doors off. And I think what it replaced instead of validation, like I am somebody and, you know, I'm good at my job or any of that type of stuff. I just was just hit with this profound gratitude. I remember sitting, uh, I was in Dallas, Texas. The movie was playing next door and I was at the food court of a mall next door to the theater. And I was sitting at the food court and people were passing by. Nobody looked in my direction. Nobody knew who I was. But I just sat there and said, "You know, God, how cool that I get to be on the front row of seeing you do something special. And I just was grateful that these moments are rare and they don't come along much. And I, I may not have a moment quite that feels like that ever again. But it was just a moment in time that you can't hold on to. But it was, it was special. It was a lot of fun. Mm.
0: That is so good.
1: That. I love that.
0: So in 2019, John and Andy launched Kingdom Story Company alongside their partners, Kevin Downs and Tony Young. The first film from that venture is I Still Believe, which is a biopic about contemporary Christian music megastar Jeremy Camp and stuff that cast the legendary Shania Twain and Gary Sinise as Jeremy Camp's parents.
1: Okay, can we stop there? (laughs) Okay. I'm going to be honest. We have these moments, he and I, when we get guests, and we are like hitting each other, screaming, it happened with you. When we got Andy Irwin, we lost our daggone minds. (laughs) Is there a time when you get a certain actor, actress, and you and John are looking at each other, and you're losing your daggone mind because you got these people?
2: Yeah, you know, definitely. Definitely. Uh, Gary Sinise was that one for me. Gary has been a long time mentor over the years and I'm going to be with him in a couple of weeks out in LA and just has a heart of gold. And just, I mean, he's just an amazing human being. And I'd known him for 10 years and had never tried to risk pitching him something. And we just kind of had this mentorship kind of friendship. So he had taken some time off from acting to kind of really take care of his family And so in the middle of that, I had breakfast with him one day and I just said, Gary, where are you at with acting? And he said, well, when I return to it, I just want to take a job that reminds me I'm good at this job. Wow. I was like, well, I would love to work with you at any point. And he said, write me something really good. And so I wrote the role We, John and I, John wrote the role of Jeremy Kent's father for Gary had him in mind. So when Gary finally took it, and I'm, I'm on set with him, and I mean this is a guy that he started the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago before I was born. He directed of Mice and Men when he was 32. He could easily do my job much better than me. But I'm sitting there going like, I'm <laughs> leaning over to him. Gary comes on set. He's like, Well, what did my character have for breakfast? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, Gary. He's like. Well, if it was a lighter meal, I would, you know, kind of had some more energy. But if it's a heavy meal, maybe I'm a little bit slower. I'm like, Gary, go ask your Oscar nominations. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, what would you do? And he's like, well, I think, you know, I think I'd I sit there going, it's Gary Sidney. And so, uh, so when the reviews came out, uh, Richard Roper wrote a review on I Still Believe. And the part that I loved is he, there was a little quote that he said, there's a small but significant supporting role by Gary Sinise in this film that reminds us all that he's one of our nation's finest actors. Oh, and I texted it to him and I said, just reminding you, you're good at your job. And, uh, and so that was special. And then Shania Twain, I mean, I, you know, she's on set and when she came in, you know, and I didn't know if she was going to be a diva or not. I mean, she's Shania Twain. But when she, when she flew in for the part, I got a text at midnight. Her assistant texted and said, Shania needs you to come over to, to talk about hairstyles for the movie. And I'm like, okay, tomorrow? She's like, no, tonight. I'm like, tonight? Oh, okay. So I turned over to my wife and I was like, I'll be right back. I'm going to go see Shania Twain. She's like, what? <laughs> like, Shania said she wants to talk about hair. You go talk about hair. <laughs> so, so I show up at midnight over at their house and I'm I'm worried that she's going to be like really intense. And she's the most sweet, approachable person at all. She's like... I'm sorry to get you up. I didn't mean for it to have to happen tonight. You know, it, she's like, I, I didn't realize that they were going to call you tonight. She's like, can I make you guys some snacks? You know, all this type of stuff. And I'm sitting there going like, Shania Twain's getting us snacks. So <laughs> anyway,
0: that was a surreal moment for sure. for sure. That's awesome. I need to go through these quickly. So in 2020 during the pandemic, John and Andy were unable to film a traditional movie. So they were looking for a project that would be doable with all the COVID protocols. So they did the Jesus Music documentary. Mm-hmm. Steph, they interviewed more than 100 people, recorded over 300 hours of footage, and then Andy here had to edit it down to an hour and 49 minutes. Yeah, it was... Oh. it was I
2: I, I created a Frankenstein. It was like you kind of got in the middle of it like, what have we done? But um, it was funny because we were just talking about what can we create that we can't create it at any time and Josh Walsh, who produces for us, Josh leaned over and he said, you know, nobody's ever really looked at the history of Christian contemporary music. And all these artists are off the road for the first time in history. And, you know, and they're five miles from our front door. And so we started with Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant and kind of went back to our roots. And when Amy signed on, when they decided to produce it with us, we went and sat down with Amy and Amy was going to have heart surgery about two weeks later. Nobody knew it. So she was at this place in life where she was just really vulnerable and just kind of like, I'm just going to be real. So we actually, to, to kind of keep her safe because of COVID at the time and all that and her surgery, we set up through the window of her house. We were all set, shooting the, the interview through the window of the house. And I talked to her through a two-way kind of walkie-talkie. And we had this just amazing conversation that was the most vulnerable thing I've ever heard, uh, where she just was really raw and candid. And she kind of, I guess, laid down the gauntlet for everybody else and said, this is what we're doing. And we just said, hey, we're not interested in the scandal, but we're very interested in understanding the struggle. And everybody jumped on board and to where we had to start turning away people. And we ended up with about 100 interviews. And then we had to figure out, how do you make this into a two-hour doc? But it was a love letter to all the music that formed our career and just the incredible human beings that we've known along the way. So
0: that one was like a special one for us. So we've already talked about American Underdog. So good. And now which so we good. watched this weekend. So good. And thank you. Gosh. It almost made me cry. Oh, I totally
1: cried. Oh, I gosh. I cried. The, uh, the wedding we cried. scene. The yes. wedding
0: scene with their son. I'm uh, like, oh. Oh, geez. the
1: wedding scene. When yeah. you start singing. Okay, okay, okay. When you're filming, yeah. are you guys filming and you guys are crying? Getting and emotional.
2: During it? Well, you, you try to stay professional, but every once in a while you you have to kind of you know, go into a dark corner and just have a moment. But uh, yeah, that one was special because Kurt and Brenda Warner were on set. And so Hayden that plays Zack Warner in the film, uh, Hayden's a beautiful little actor who's blind in real life. And so this moment that we're recreating, we had filmed it one way. And then Kurt, about halfway through, said, can I show you what actually happened at the wedding? And we're like, sure. So he pulls out this footage of Zach singing to him uh, on that wedding day. And then at the end, they kind of lean their foreheads together and put their foreheads together. Uh-huh. And, and we were like, we're doing that. So we recreated it exactly as it happened in that footage. And when he saw it, like Kurt, like got emotional, Brenda got emotional. We're all like crying. And I'm like, I'm not not one of my more manly moments, but it was, it was a cool, special moment to be a part of. I think the things that get me emotional are the ones that you discover in the moment on the day that it wasn't something that was planned or scripted. It was just something that you stumbled into and you're like, Oh my gosh, that was, that was unexpected. And those are the ones that catch you off guard. and You have to kind of like compose yourself.
1: When you're doing a movie like this, are you more nervous for Kurt Warner to see it or for the nation to see it?
2: Kurt Warner. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's, we've done five true stories over the years, both documentaries and features. And every time the most nerve wracking thing is to sit down with the actual person and, you know, and Kurt's intense, like, I mean, the same drive that made him a Super Bowl champion drove him to, to conquer dancing with the stars. And, you know, now with the movie, he was just like, I would get, you know, text from at three in the morning that was like, Hey, I, got, I had a few ideas to run by you. And it'd be seven pages of Ideas, and then and then he would text. I'll text you back at six in the morning, and let's talk. to things. I'm like, when do you sleep, dude? And so, and then Brenda is not afraid of speaking to her mind. Like she is intense. That Marine never goes away. And we had walked him through the whole thing of you know, it's a portrait, it's not a photograph, but we want to get it as accurate as possible. And we did the first screening with a crowd of 500 people that we invited them to. And I I did that to just kind of. I think to kind of self-protect and be like, it's not just how you feel about the movie. Watch about how this audience responds. And we went into it and Brenda was as nervous as we were. She was like, what if I hate it? I'm like, what if you do? (laughs) 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 Um, And so every time, so we're in the theater and every time they would flinch, we'd look over and be like, you know, are they, are they, are they leaving? Are they, but, um, Afterwards, I think what really sold them was seeing the outpouring of love of people, how they responded to the material. And when they finally embraced it and they're like, OK, we get this now, we get what this is. And I think the, the actors that played them in the film really honored them, did a great job. And the kind of the cool moments were like with Dennis Quaid working with him again as Dick Vermeule. I got a chance to go back to the Hall of Fame and show the film to the Hall of Fame crowd with Coach Vermeil in real life. Coach is 85. And sitting with him, and he got emotional, and he leaned over in the middle of the film. He's like, "Hey, Quaid made a better Vermeil than I was." He's like, like, (laughs) and he had a tear in his eye. And then to see him kind of get nominated or to he's inducted in the Hall of Fame this year is he's in this year's class was exciting. But like watching it with the real people is both nerve wracking and like
0: sacred ground. And so
2: when you get it right, it's great. When you don't, it's it's awkward.
0: Friends, we just want to take a moment here to say thank you to all you loyal listeners. <laughs>
1: just found out that Tell Us A Good Story is now in the top 1.5% of all podcasts worldwide. And that is because of you guys sharing with your family and friends on social media and giving us positive reviews on all the podcast platforms. And
0: if your friends ask, just tell them they can get our entire catalog of episodes at kevinandsteph.com or wherever they like to get their podcasts.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening to Tell Us A Good Story.
0: Final fun fact. They're currently filming the movie Jesus Revolution, which is a true story about the Jesus movement back in the 60s and 70s. The cast includes Kelsey Grammer and Jim Gaffigan.
1: Oh, wow. So
0: is Jim Gaffigan is he a minister in this yeah. movie?
2: Well, he was. So Jim, unfortunately, he had schedule conflict and we had to to recast, but he is hysterical. He was going to be great in the movie. He was going to be great. But, you know, that's where life happens and so Kelsey is actually replacing Jim. Oh, okay. But uh, it, it also stars Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen, and then it stars uh, Joel Courtney from Super 8. But it's my brother is doing that film right now, and he's doing it down in Mobile. He's directing that one uh, solo. And so we're stair-stepping each other, and he works on that one while I'm prepping the next couple. And so it's it's exciting. You know, it's been cool with Lionsgate to kind of have a, a company that really believed in our product and kind of gave us the keys to the car. It's been an amazing run. So we've got that one going down in Mobile. We've got another one uh, that we're producing up in Canada that's starring, a, that hopefully, we're finding out today is starring a two-time Oscar winner that, really? that we're producing. I can't say who it is, but uh, just the products are continuing to come in. And uh, I'm working on a, there's a book called Fearless. It's a Navy SEAL story. It's one that I'm working on the script right now with a Oscar-nominated writer that's going to be an amazing story. So we're all kind of keep pushing this thing forward.
1: So do you get these scripts Or like Oh Kurt Warner What an awesome Christian man I think we should do a video about him Like is that what you're thinking Or do people like Have ideas for you How does that yeah. work
2: the People have ideas for us All the time
0: I bet Too many ideas I'm sure
2: <laughs> I, get, I get stacks of books And scripts And you know I had one guy Chase me down at the airport In Ohio I was at the Hall of Fame And he chased me down At the airport With a script That actually had my name Printed on it Uh <laughs> Uh and it was like, this is I' don't, this is kind of a stalker type thing. but um yes, we're not that smart to go out and find these stories. You know, we just it's given us way too much credit. And just these stories kind of typically find us. And when something really captures our soul, we just like that's a story we have to tell. So with Kurt Warner's story, I worked one Super Bowl in my entire career, and it was Kurt Warner's second Super Bowl against Tom Brady in his first. It was in New Orleans in two thousand and one. And I just, I was doing the post game show and I just remember watching Kurt and this guy that had become a legend at that point and kept watching him with this spiky haired Marine lady in the, in the stands. And I'm like, I wanted the story behind those guys. So it was a surreal moment when 20 years later, somebody reached out to us and said, the Warners are wanting a movie made of their life. They want to meet with you guys. And I'm like, wow. are you serious? So next thing you know, where they're in their house and phoenix arizona we were very much on the hot seat it was funny this is a story i don't think i've ever said on the record so when we were in the middle of talking to them about the movie we were very much on trial like are they going to pick us to trust us with their story because we weren't the only one circling it and they had just rescued a german shepherd Uh from the humane society full-grown german shepherd and so she's laying at their feet and and we're having this meeting and in the middle of the meeting my brother jumps up to go to the restroom and it startles the dog and i don't know what kind of trauma was in this dog's life but the dog just lunges at john and (sighs) takes a hunk out of his leg just like oh no it. john was wearing jeans and then kurt was like bad dog you know down and and john's like john puts on his best poker face because he didn't want to lose the movie he's like oh i'm i'm fine everything's everything's fine I'm good. I'm fine. Just a flesh wound. Flesh wound. And so he goes in the bathroom, and then he texts me a picture of his leg and that has blood coming out. And he's like, "I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain." And so he got himself up and came out. And like I'm good. Everything's good. And we we're like, "It did not miss a beat." So Kurt, Kurt and Brenda to this day don't know about what actually happened. And so so we get out, and John's limping out the door. We get in the car. And I don't know, out of inspiration for how we pitched their story or guilt over their dog attacking us, uh, we got a call from their agent as we were driving away that we got the gig and that they they wanted us to do the movie. But uh, wow. that dog, maybe that dog was like the final test. <laughs> maybe they were like, "We'll see how they respond
0: to this one." But you know, it was all good. Oh, that's awesome! That's funny. <laughs> well, listeners, for more information about Andy, you can go to his Instagram page, Erwin Bro Andy or Kingdom Story Company. Also, go to their website, kingdomstorycompany.com. It's got information about all the movies, all the feature films that they've done. Well, Andy, thank you so much for your time. And also, I just want to say, thank you for what you do.
1: Mm,
0: I can only guess the challenges and obstacles that you and your brother have had to face to get to where you're at today. But gosh, what you do is so impactful for people. And just amazing. So well,
1: and I appreciate it because we can actually watch movies with our children and we don't have to okay, cover your ears, cover your eyes. Like we don't have to do yeah. that. It brings us it. back to like Andy Griffith days. Like yeah. we all watch Andy Griffith together. Yeah. So it's so nice to watch movies that have that same culture behind it. Absolutely.
2: Enjoyed it. You guys rock. And next time you guys are in Nashville, give us a hug. We, we Would, would love, love that. that. We'd Thank love to meet
0: you, you guys. Ah!
1: And he said, oh, sorry, sorry. I
0: needed a small silent pause there <laughs> for our producer. <laughs> <laughs> that- that-
1: that <laughs> that-
2: that <laughs> I
0: like her scream. I love it. I love it.
1: It's so I'm good. so <laughs> excited. <laughs> okay, sorry.